the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Reaching Your Heart Welcome. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled Facing Fear Without Fear. We appreciate you listening. And if you find that you've missed any portion of this message, you can always go to reachingyourheart.com. You'll find the broadcast schedule there on the main page. You can download any of these messages that you hear or listen in on-demand audio format at reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway with the first portion to Facing Fear Without Fear. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Father, we're saved by grace, but without the high priest Jesus Christ, we wouldn't get to grace. We're grateful that love has found a way to save those that are unlovely. And that you have found a way to bring us from where we were to where we need to be. And in the journey, we have this acceptance, the robe of Christ's righteousness, which covers us until we get there. Glorious gift, glorious God, glorious Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Plato once said, We can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. I mean, we live in a world today where people are afraid of the truth. They're afraid of the light that would take away the darkness of their life. Somehow we live in a culture that has become so accustomed to darkness that light is the unusual uh, figure that meets the eye in the modern mess that we call the world we live on. In the Gospel of John, Jesus came into this world, one like the, the, the modern world. He came into our world as the light of the world. He came to illumine the darkness. And for Jesus, Plato's paradox is a reality, unfortunately. When men ought to be afraid of the dark, paradoxically, when they met Jesus, they were afraid of the light. And Christ says the judgment is this, that light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Christ's entry into this world in the Gospel of John is represented as the light of a new morning. I mean, we have been living for centuries in this world in darkness until Christ came. When Christ came, He introduced a reality. He introduced a future that is radically disconnected from the world in which we find ourselves in. Christ is the hope of a new dawn. On each side of the Gospel, Jesus appears as the light. In John 1, 4, and 5, John writes, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When, when Peter and the disciples fished all night, and they couldn't catch anything. We have anyone here who goes fishing? Warren, you went fishing, didn't you? Uh, you caught a trout. Is that right? On a, on a fly at Gunpowder Falls. And Nikki got bit by a copperhead in the same event. And so everybody left to get Nikki up to, up to the ambulance to get her that anti-venom. And you were over there celebrating your catch and no one was there. Is that right? 
Well, you must have faith. It really does matter that you have caught a fish. And that's kind of what happened to the disciples that night on the Sea of Tiberias. They were fishing all night in the dark. They couldn't catch anything. They saw Jesus and they didn't know it was Jesus. And they saw him standing on the shore. It was the light of a new dawn. And the Bible says in John 21, 4, as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friend, in the darkness of the night, it is sometimes hard to recognize Jesus. Am I right? In the darkness of your night, isn't it sometimes impossible or difficult to see Jesus? Friend, Christ is the light of creation. If you go all the way back to the beginning, Jesus was the brilliant sunbeam of God's glory that illumined the darkness, that overcame the night at the dawn of time. That's what it says at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, John 1, 4, and 5. But here we see at the very end of the Gospel of John, Christ is standing ready to help His people who have been going through discouragement after His crucifixion, in the light of a new dawn on the Sea of Tiberias, He tells them to cast their net on the other side. Friend, it doesn't matter what kind of darkness you're putting up with. It doesn't matter what kind of soul-disturbing issues have come into your life. Christ is the light at the beginning and at the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And in the middle of life where it matters most... We find right there in John 8, 12, Christ says, I am the light of the world. He doesn't say I was or I will be. I am the light of the world. He's with us as light today. Fear finds its first foothold in a child's fear of the night. Am I right? A little child recognizes the darkness and becomes afraid of the darkness. I used to sing a lullaby to my son, John Michael, that was written by Michael Card. And I used to play my guitar and do the notes and everything. And I thought it was helping him out. It's a song about mighty angels watching over the child as he or she sleeps at night in Jesus. It's called Sleep Sound in Jesus. How many of you heard the song? It shows you how old I am. I have a picture of it. Sleep Sound in Jesus. That's the album. Um, lullabies. Beautiful lullabies. So I would play them on my guitar. My son recently confided in me that this song that was a lullaby about overcoming fear in the night, in fact, made him afraid at night. He said, Dad, you sat there with that guitar and you played that music and you terrified me. I mean, I felt awful. I mean, here you are trying to make an impact to raise your kids right. You end up messing it up for them. He was afraid of the monsters that the angels protected him from. You know, sleep sound in Jesus. They're keeping guard of you tonight so nothing will get you. He said, well, what's trying to get me? He didn't like the lullaby because it reminded him of the fear of the night that angels must guard against. You know... Perhaps parents are more afraid of the dark than the children really are. Am I right? We're the ones that need the lullaby. We're the ones that are afraid of the dark because we love our kids and we know what's out there. And my, in the in the singing of the song, I kind of let him know at an age in which it was he didn't need to know. I just needed to protect him. Abraham's name means the father of many nations. We've heard that before. It's true. But before he was named Abraham, he was just Abram. A man with a beautiful wife and no children. No one to protect in the night. Abram was afraid of the night, even though he had no children. Why? Because in the night of his struggle for faith, he saw no future with children. He saw no future. He couldn't see. And yet he was following a God he could hear. And he was moving into that future with God's help. When I was in the Marshall Islands, I was a scuba diver. Any, do we have any scuba divers here today? 
Sydney, you're a scuba diver. Raise your hand high if you're a scuba diver. It's like, okay, we have two or three. Andy is one. Um, it can be a dangerous kind of sport. If you don't do it right, you can get the bins or you can get eaten by a shark or something exciting like that. And I remember one day I, HMS Richards Jr. came to the Marshall Islands. He was there for a week, and I took him scuba diving out on a little atoll far afield from the mission. And he was the speaker of the Voice of Prophecy radio broadcast. I was just a student, not sure what I was going to do with my life. He wanted to impress me with how athletic he was so he could impress me with the work of God that I should do. He was trying to move me from pre-med to ministry. And it was successful. He worked at me for one whole year. He called me on his, uh, his ham radio and just interacted. Well, I remember taking him out. And I, <clears throat> it was a scary ordeal. I took him down to 60 feet on the most shark-infested point in the entire island. <laughs> and they came real close to us. And he didn't know what kind of danger we were in. But we were in pretty good danger. We got out of there. I didn't say a word to him. He turned to me and he said, I was afraid. He says, Mike, you know what I like about you? I said, no, Harold, what do you like about me? Because, you know, we're, as a young person, you're looking for some affirmation. And from someone like that, that's a good thing to hear. He said, Mike, what I like about you is you're a man. You get out there and you just do it. I thought to myself, he has no idea what I just about did. <laughs> I remember one night I went back to that spot to go scuba diving. And as I was out there on the reef, the goal was to catch a lot of fish with the pathfinders, to put them in the boat, to bring them back and sell them, and that's how we raised money. We could catch two or 300 pounds of fish in a night. But I remember the fear of being in my gear in that boat, and all the Marshallese jumped into the water. It was night. And I said, I need to jump in the water and not be a coward. I had my spear in my hand. I'd learned how to pull, you know, use the pole spear to catch fish. So I remember jumping in the water, reaching for my flashlight. As I reached for the flashlight, it wouldn't come on. You know, so I am in the middle of the dark ocean, you know, scrambling around, flailing. And finally I found it and I cut it on and that beam went out, boom, you know, just, you know, like that in an angle in front of me. You know, beautiful diamonds looking back at me with teeth. And they were sharks. I got out of there. I jumped out of the boat. And I said, you guys go fishing. I'm not going to do it. There's something about the night. There are monsters in the night. If you go scuba diving in the Marshall Islands, there are monsters in the night. I eventually learned to fear, spearfish at night, but I always looked over my shoulder. So we shouldn't be surprised that Abram is afraid of the night, the future that is dark, without God illumining it somehow. And just before God appeared to Abram in Genesis 15 to make a covenant with him, the covenant that would shape the future for his family, Abram was afraid of his enemies in the darkness of the night, and a good reason to be. Abram had saved his nephew Lot from the evil kings of Shinar. He had saved the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. But by so doing, he had become a target. He had a big bullseye on his back. He paid the price for looking over his shoulder and, and looking back and, and rescuing his family. Now he's looking over his shoulder a whole lot because he was afraid someone would take revenge on him. And fear haunted Abram in the night. Genesis 15.1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. In the night, it's hard to stand tall and firm without fear. 
when you can't see into the future, it's hard to be optimistic and fearless as you move forward and it's dark. The bravest of men and women have had to face their own fear as they discovered the secret to courage. So Abram was afraid even after the Lord said, don't be afraid. I'm going to confess something to you. Can I do that here today? You won't be upset at me. I can remember standing before this congregation on many an occasion in this legal fight we've been through that God led us into that was bigger than any of us. Judge Titus said that the struggle for our church in court was like the, a little league game, uh, a little league team going up against the New York Yankees. There was no chance reaching hearts could win, but we did. And I can remember you know, saying things in church like this. We're going to make it. We're going to win. And looking out over the congregation and seeing folks that would say, yeah. And others saying, no way. And feeling funny, but knowing that we have only one option, to win. And having faith. And there were times in which I was afraid. But you know what? It doesn't matter if you're afraid. If you move forward in God's plan, does it? If God's leading you and you feel fear, it doesn't matter as long as you don't act that way. And I can remember the, the voices of courage in this congregation where God moved on this brother or that sister to speak faith when maybe a brother or sister didn't in our midst. And we stand today and this whole legal thing is over. It's over. It's, it's in the past. I don't get up in the morning anymore and think about who, which attorney to connect with and how to manage a process. The thing's behind us. It's part of our history, our faith history. It's no longer part of our future, except that it has secured the property that is our future. And, and this piece of property is now worth probably close to $4 million. It's doubled in value because of the energy it takes to create a footprint like we have. Praise God. You know, the man of faith or the woman of faith, I can speak from my own experience. I've been afraid. Even after God has assured us that things are all right, God assured Abraham it was all right, but he was afraid anyway. We hear God's promise and we too experience fear. That, is part, that part is no mystery, but it is disappointing. In Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And yet right after he expressed his faith, the darkness settled in. When Abram faced the darkness of the night, even though he had faith before the darkness, Abram was afraid all over again. Friend, God does not leave His children to fight in the night alone. Did you hear me? You may have had a great faith chapter in your life and you come up against a wall. God will not leave you alone after the decision you have made to follow Him. Genesis fifteen twelve. as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And lo, a dread and great darkness fell upon him. God appeared in the darkness of the night as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Why? Because God the Father is represented as that part of God you cannot see, the smoke. And the, the, the flaming torch is the word used in Scripture to describe the Son of God, the Redeemer in Isaiah and other places of Scripture. And so God the Father and His Son appear to Abram in the night to make a covenant with Him. And they are the light out of the night, the way out of darkness. In the darkness of the cloud was the Father and the flaming torch, the Son of God. 
the holiness and majesty of God. The father here invokes raw fear for Abram. He's, a dreaded fear falls upon him. But Jesus is always the light that overcomes the night, who leads us to God away from our own fear. Together that night, the father and the son move between the parts of the animal to make a holy covenant with Abram. In the ancient world, it meant that if you didn't keep the covenant, you'd be cut in two. And they're saying, we will be cut in two if we do not fulfill our word for you, Abram. And that night, God promised to protect his family in the present and the future and to make of him a great nation. In Psalms 91, God gave the promise through David that he would help his people overcome the fear of the night. Men and women of faith at times face the dreaded darkness of unforeseen calamity. In an uncertain future. Is that true? Sure it is. You know, there's a few things you can say amen to. That's one of them. That's true, isn't it? Amen means it's so. And God Himself gives the promise to the believer that the terror of the night will not overcome the weakest of His people who cling to Him in childlike faith. He holds on tighter than your faith. Psalms 91.5, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Friend, death cannot destroy you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, because the morning follows instantly. What appears to be defeat is victory if you're in Jesus we are living in a time when the whole world is ripe for conflict. Am I correct? And fear is the emotion that grips the modern heart. We are living in the age of fear. North Korea has a nuclear bomb and their immature leader who rants about like a spoiled brat on video games, he just kills people at will like Nero. It's something odd to watch. China is flexing its power to extend its territories into Japan and the Pacific, destabilizing the region. Russia has amassed 15,000 troops as of yesterday on the border of the Ukraine. It is the eve of what appears to be another war in Europe. Russia's actions are curiously similar to events that fomented World War II. Stalin invaded Poland. Hitler and others did. Syria is, it, it, today is a country ripped apart by extremism and massacres that no longer make the news. The killing is common, commonplace now. We're all used to it. The media's bored. No one cares anymore about the kidnapped girls in Nigeria, the four million women of Iraq who will face torture at the hands of Islamic extremists. And yes, they're extremists when they will do to women what they have pledged to do this week. The gains of the Gulf War are gone and the rebels have declared themselves as a new caliphate state, a new, a new launch pad for terrorism globally. The gains of the Gulf War are gone. Who would have thought that we'd have lost it all? Israel is fighting for its life and with weakened allies. And both Palestinian and Jewish children are crying in the night for the bombs to stop falling and for both sides to make peace. And let us not forget that there are children at our own border clamoring for a new life in the United States and no one has a good answer on what to do with them or how to assimilate them or where, to, where their parents are. Nature itself seems amok. I was just reading this week that in 2012, a massive solar flare missed the earth by one week. Seven days in, in the rotational cycle of the earth, it missed planet earth. If that solar ejection had hit the earth, our technology would have been fried and sent back in time to the 18th century. 
And that's how that, that's the kind of thing that we're just balancing on. Global panic would have followed. Even the islands are not exempt from the fear that threatens the world. Coastal peoples watch the shores, fearful of another tsunami from the roaring of the sea that will kill another half a million or so. There are so many reasons to be afraid today, and the leaders of the world can't fix the mess that causes fear to spread everywhere like cancer. Friend, we are living in a world today that was perfectly described by Jesus Christ in Luke 21 as the world that would immediately precede the second coming of Christ in glory. It's in Luke 21, 25. He says there will be signs in the sun, the moon and the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations in perplexity. The Greek word aporia, no way out. No one can fix that which causes fear. At the roaring of the sea and the waves... Here, this could be taken as the literal sea and the symbolic sea, representing the nations at war. Men fainting with fear, Christ writes, and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. In the context, what follows the age of fear? What, what follows this awful description of the world we now live in? In verse 27, the second coming of Jesus follows the age of fear. Since 9-11... We have been living in the age of terror. And Jesus is the only one who can take away the terror. He's the only one that can stabilize your life for the final storm. Verse 27, and then. You see, and then means there's nothing left. There are no more signs after this kind of a world era. We are living just before the coming of Christ. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, look up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Friend, when everyone else is afraid of the future, Jesus calls the Christian to look up with hope and confidence. Don't look down, look up. Why? He says your redemption is drawing near. His deliverance will break into the night of the darkest night of human history when evil will seem to win. It will not win. And it is just then that the glorious light of the second coming of Christ will defeat the night. Evil will not win. Evil will lose. Evil will fail. Evil will fall to never rise again. And God's people will never be afraid of evil ever again. Sometimes fear is more about the past than the future. I know that to be true. Sometimes fear is the thing you're running from. But it's not where you're going to if you're a Christian. So you don't need to be connected to the past. You need to be connected to God's future. The most important event in the near future for you and your family is the second coming of Jesus Christ. That is the most important event. And you do not need to be afraid of that glorious day. God has provided in Jesus everything you need to stand for that day. You should be planning for that event with more seriousness than your retirement. You should care about it more than an advanced degree or, or a good job. Your prayers in the day should be directed to Jesus who can prepare you for that day. And your pleadings in the night should be for the light to break into the night to save your children, your family, and your own soul. And any idol in your life, you should pray to God to get it out of your life. Because there's no reason you can't be saved for that day. When God appeared on Mount Sinai and gave the Ten Commandments, Jesus was there as the living Word of God that spoke the law of God. 
When God wanted everyone to move forward, fear took charge. And instead of coming up in the mountain as God had directed them at a certain point when the trumpet blew, they pulled back. In Exodus 20, verse 20, And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that His fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Friend, the fear of the Lord is the fear that overcomes fear. God allows tests to come into your life that are meant to prepare you to obey, to prepare you to stand before Him without fear, to have faith for the last day. God puts you through the ringer in life so you can learn those weaknesses in your character, so you can be set free from sin. And you learn and you grow if you allow the tests to work for you. And if you don't let fear take you away from Jesus, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Friend, we need to fear God in some ways. We do. We need to fear the fact that He has our future in His hands. To respect it. Not terror that takes us away from Him, but respect so we can turn to Him as our righteous Father and love and obey Him. So we will not be trampled out at the end of time. We will not be swept away with the world at large. There is a fear that overcomes fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The person who comes to God humbled by His glory, drawn by His love, will not fear Him in the wrong kind of way. 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment or torment. But the one who fears has not been made perfect in love. Friend, God did not call you to be defeated by fear. Well, there you have the first portion of Facing Fear Without Fear. Today's Reaching Your Heart. We'll complete this broadcast tomorrow. We hope that you'll join us. If you did miss any portion of it, it is available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Just look for the broadcast schedule there on the main page. We'd love to have you at the worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock at 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. And if you forget that, it's available on the website. Thanks for listening. And as always, we pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.